You are listening to the Life Church Podcast. To learn more about Life Church, our gathering times at any of our central Indiana locations, or our Life Crew online, visit us at lifechurchin.com or follow the link in the description. Today's talk is from Pastor Kathy Eternell. privilege and the joy of being able to to kind of lead in our pastoral care team and then I have this wonderful assistant pastor Greg and we've been blessed with a group of folks from all of our campuses that join together and help us to want to minister to you when you have pastoral care needs we need to know let us know when there are things going on in your family that you would like us to pray about or just to come and and be at the hospitals or whatever your needs may be, let us know because we're here for you. The other thing that I get to do is I'm the the pastor for our, our legacy life and we are the 55 and above folks. Okay, and uh, if you, again, we'd love to have you join us for this luncheon. We have many things that we get to do, and we're just thankful that we have the opportunity to touch so many. Believe it or not, we've got over 425 people who are 55 and above. So that gives us a big job. You've got to help us, okay? Uh, It's a joy. I haven't been here for a while. I'm, I'm, I think it's been a long while. It feels like it anyway. And um, I don't look like Pastor Derek. So he's our, he's our campus pastor, but I'm glad to be able to share with you today. And we're going to be going to 2 Samuel, the ninth chapter. And this is probably one of my favorite portions of scripture because it is a, a scripture that, that depicts the tremendous grace of God. It's a picture of that. It's, it's a story that is probably taken at the highest point, the sweetest spot <laughs> in, in David's ministry. It's a time when he finally has put all of his enemies down. <laughs> it's a time where he, he's able to see what God has been doing. It's a time of contemplation for him. It, it's a time where... He is the undisputed king. It's a great time. You know, there comes places in our life where we have battled through so many things and you just come to that sweet spot where you go, "Ah, I wish it could last. (laughs) I wish it could last forever. But in this particular case, he's come to that place and a place of reflection it's probably some 20 to 25 years after he's become king. It's going to be a time when we find one of the sweetest stories that we'll find in scripture. So let's pray. Father, as we look into your word today, we thank you that we have the privilege of being able to open it, the privilege of sharing it, Father, not only sharing it here today with these folks, but because of technology, Lord, you allow us to share way beyond these walls. And Lord, I pray that as we come together, as we meander through your word, that you'll speak to our hearts where we need to hear from you. And that, Lord, you're the one who get the glory. It belongs to you. 
In Jesus' name, amen. There's a man by the name of Mephibosheth. Can you imagine naming your kid that? That's a hard one. <laughs> but Mephibosheth is the, the son of Jonathan, who was David's absolute best friend. And he is also the, son of, the grandson of Saul. When he was five years old, the scripture tells us in, in 2 Samuel chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, that when they heard that Saul had been killed and Jonathan was dead as well, his nurse picked him up and began to run with him. Now, whether she dropped him or whether as she's bringing him along, he's a five-year-old, you know, something happened. We are not sure exactly what, but he became crippled. He fell, and he became crippled. I would suppose this nurse panicked because the normal idea to happen whenever a new regime came in was to wipe out anyone who might be a threat or an heir to that previous regime. So she probably was doing everything in her power to try and save this, this one. And yet everything that she tried to do to the best doesn't always pay off, does it? Many times we do the very same things. And so we find that he's injured. He's injured by no fault of his own. He's injured because of the failures of others. And you know, today we all sit here injured, don't we? Adam made choices that brought sin upon us, this sinful nature. We're all injured. It's a time where we find that, that he ended up going to a place called Lodibar. Boy, you couldn't get much worse of a name, Lodibar. And it was a ghetto. It was a, a barren area. It was a place of emptiness, a place where there was very little communication, a place where he probably could feel safe to be away from the king. Because he didn't know how David was going to respond. You know, you think about that. Hadn't, hadn't Saul been cruel and harsh and, and, and just gave David all kinds of trouble, wouldn't you think, man, revenge would be good. Take it out on that family. But we don't find that. We find this man was probably fearful that something like that could happen. He was probably questioning, why would God let this happen to me? I don't suppose you've ever done that. How many times in the circumstances that we live do we say, why, God? Why is this happening? No fault of his own. And then what else is it? He's, he's indebted to the charity of another man. His name is Makar. So here we see a prince in deplorable situation and conditions that are ugly. In 2 Samuel, verse 1 of chapter 9, it says, One day David asked, 
Is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? You know, I look at this and I think, David, where have you been? How long ago was it that there was this, this covenant made between him and, and Jonathan? Over 20 years, probably more than that. But you know, he got busy. He got busy in developing his kingdom. And he forgot what might have been his commitment. I don't think we ever do that kind of thing, do we? We get busy and we forget those that we should be concerned about. And sometimes they're in our own family. <laughs> sometimes we get so busy, and I know my husband will say amen to that. It's so busy that our families suffer. So busy in procuring our place. And so he, he forgot. Or he just put aside that commitment. It's interesting that when, when Jonathan makes this vow with him, and it was Jonathan who set up the vow, set up the covenant. Jonathan was recognizing that David indeed was going to be king. There was no question about it. He knew that David was running from his father. His father had tried to kill him. And yet he comes along and he cuts the covenant. And what does he say in that covenant? He says, when you're king, when you're king, don't wipe me out. Don't wipe out my family. And, you know, I've looked at that and I've thought, why did he do that? I wonder if it was the factor that he, he really wanted to encourage David because David at that time had said, your dad's going to kill me. Even later on, we find David saying, I'll one day perish at the hand of Saul. He forgot the promises of God. But this vow, this, this covenant that Jonathan made with David, I think he's trying to encourage him. I, please, I know you're going to be king. Just love on my family when you are. But it took time. You know, David could have retaliated but he didn't. And then it goes on to tell us, in verse 2 of chapter 9, he summons a man named Ziba, who had been one of Saul's servants. Are you Ziba? The king answered. Yes, sir, I am, Ziba replied. And the king then asked him, is anyone still alive from Saul's family? If so, I want to show God's kindness to them. Isn't that interesting? He started out saying, I want to show kindness. But now he comes and he says, I want to be the expression of God to show kindness to him. And Ziba replied, yes, one of Jonathan's sons is still alive. He is crippled in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. In low debar. Ziba uh, told him, at the house of Makar, the son of Amiel. 
I wanted you to just stop for a minute and think about Makar. Think about this man that is probably in a place that's not very special at all. But he must be a man of some means because he opens his home to this child who he knows is the heir to the throne, and yet he's not sure how David's going to react to him. And he protects him, and he provides for him, keeps him safe. And it's interesting that we're told that David comes to search after him, and we're going to see that. So David sent for him and brought him from Makar's house. And his name was Mephibosheth. He was Jonathan's son and Saul's grandson. But let's go back to Makar again. What do you think he felt when these people came from David? And to take him, he doesn't know what David's going to do. But here's this one he's protected, now being taken from his home. I just wonder if there was fear in his heart. I wonder if there was a place where he had to come to in his heart, like many of us have to come to with our own families, to have to say, you know what? I've done all I can do. I've filled the gap. Now I've got to just entrust him to God. Entrust him to the hands of another. It's a hard place, isn't it? We see that David comes and takes or sends people to take Mephibosheth. What do you think Mephibosheth is feeling? I think there was probably fear. He doesn't know David wants to bless him. He only knows what usually happens to the heirs of a former king. And you know what? I look at this and I think, and he probably had no time to prepare himself to go before a king. Did you ever think about that? Man, they come take you out of the house, take you on to be the king. Couldn't make himself presentable. Boy, that sounds like us, huh? We sure can't make ourselves presentable for the king. He came to David, the scripture says, in this fifth verse, and he or his sixth verse, and he bowed low to the ground in deep respect. And I love the next verse. And David said, Greetings, Mephibosheth. Wow, that wasn't what he was expecting. But what was so beautiful? He knew his name. God knows your name. He sees where you are. And he's gracious in coming to us. Even when we have very many maladies. Greetings, Mephibosheth, spoke kindly. Goes on to say that Mephibosheth says, I am your servant. And David says, don't be afraid. 
I intend to show kindness to you because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. And I'm going to give you all of the property that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will eat here with me at the king's table. What were the blessings that were going to come to this man? Not because of himself, but because he was Jonathan's son, because this was the man that David loved so, the man who had spoken into David's life to believe God. He's going to give him every bit of the land that belonged to his grandfather and his father. He's going to have everything restored to him that should have been his inheritance. And better yet, he's going to be elevated to the position of a son in David's court. Wow. Four times we're going to read where it says, eat bread at his table. Four times. Once in the seventh verse, once in the tenth verse, the eleventh verse, and finally, the 13th verse. And in verse 8, it says, Mephibosheth bowed respectfully and exclaimed, Who is your servant that you would show such kindness to a dead dog like me? Who am I? He's saying. I love that song that says, Who am I that a king should bleed and die for? Who am I? You know, in the presence of the king, he abased himself. He did not see his value or feel his value. It's interesting that it goes on to say that the king summons Saul's servant Zimba. But before we look at that, did you ever think about where true self-esteem comes from? It's not in how much you know. It's not in how talented you are. Because you could have all those things, but if no one looks at you with value, you'll never have self-esteem. And what does Jesus do? because of another's sacrifice or for the sake of another and his name is Jesus he looks at us and through his eyes we have value and we don't need to be put down for anything isn't it interesting that that we find that Mephibosheth uses the very same words that David had used in the presence of Saul. I'm a dead dog. I don't have value. Goes on to tell us that the king summoned Saul's servant Ziba and said, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and to his family. And you and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him to produce food for your master's household. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, 
will eat at my table. Zimba had 15 sons and 20 servants. And Zimba replied, yes, my lord, the king, I am your servant and I will do all that you have commanded. And from that time on, Mephibosheth, again, ate regularly at David's table like one of the king's own sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah. From then on, all the members of Zimba's household were Mephibosheth's servants. And Mephibosheth, who was crippled in both feet, lived in Jerusalem and regularly ate from the king's table. There's your, your last one, four times. I think he wants to tell you something about eating at the king's table coming to that place. David does for Mephibosheth what he could not do for himself. He has all this stuff restored to him. Can he farm it? Can he take care of it? Can he take care of his family? You know, he can't even do that because he's been at the mercy of Makar who's been looking after him. Did produce a child. He's lame in both feet. And that speaks of our, our walk. Lame in both feet. Limited abilities. I'll tell you, if there's anything that I have known and felt of myself, it's those limited abilities. I remember when I told my mama that I wanted to go into the ministry and she said, you, you never open your mouth. But it's amazing what God can do with us or do for us. He does for us. He makes us able, our sins beside us, people that can encourage us to believe that we can possess the land and we can sit under the king's table and be acceptable. He was lame in both feet. But what did the king's table do with his lameness? It covered it. When you sat at the table, you never knew he was lame. And when we sit at the king's table, <laughs> no one has to see all the infirmities, <laughs> all, the, all the things that limit us. But you know, I look at this and we say, oh, that's a really good story, Pastor Kathy. I, I like that story. But where do you fit in the story? Let's look. Maybe you've been a David. Maybe God has brought you to a really sweet spot in your Christian life. Maybe you've seen accomplishments You've been blessed. You've taken things that, that you couldn't get apart from God's help to get. David knew that he needed the Lord in every situation. He'd come to a sweet spot. But there was a problem. He had been busy. Too busy to remember the commitments that he needed to make. 
Have we been too busy? Maybe we've been a David. Maybe we need to come to a place where we remember things that we've promised others. Maybe we need to put aside some of the wonderful things that we now have. And it's, it's very interesting that it's not too late to do the right thing, is it? I love the uh, portion in John where it says, if someone has enough to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how dwells the love of God in him? We've got to watch that we don't become so busy that we don't have our eyes open to see the needs of others round about us. And when we have the ability, meet those needs. And you know, I think about that because we have such a tremendous missions giving in our church. People see the need and they reach out and they make a difference because they have the means to do it. What, was he, what are we to do if we are to be a David? Well, we're supposed to seek those whose lives we can affect. Every one of us has a possibility of doing that, don't we? To seek lives that we know we can affect. Not everyone's going to affect the same people. But you have a scope of influence where you can make a difference. We have to treat others as if they're our own family. You know, um, I, we had four children. Um, we lost all four of them in five years. They went to Bible college, they met their mates, and I think I've told you this before, and they got married and they were gone. And I'm complaining. I don't like empty nest. And I remember the Lord speaking to my heart. And he says, fill your life with other people's kids. And you're part of my kids. <laughs> I began to fill my life with other people and love them like my kids. That's what he wants of all of us. Nobody should be a stranger if we have the opportunity to make a difference in their life. I love that. And then we're to cover their imperfection, right? Not pointing out all the problems in people's lives. And boy, when we do this, what happens? I got three coming right back at me, right? And it's so easy for us to do that. And this is a place God has to work in our hearts, that we don't point out all the imperfections, but we cover them. We cover them. We do what we can do to cover those things or to help them to see those things so that they can be better. And we want them to recover all that they've lost. You know, sometimes, oh, we're terrible, but we say, oh, I'm just glad they got it. I'm glad that, that 
finally they got caught up with. But that's not the attitude God wants us to have, is it? Maybe you're a maker. I know some of you have taken into your homes children. You've been foster parents. You've been adoptive parents. You've taken into your home those that were in dire need. And you've loved on them. And you've given them. And you've provided for them. And then there comes a time after you've done everything and they leave that you don't have control. <laughs> that after you have invested so much, you have to lift your hands. And this is true of us as parents too, all of us. We invest in them. That doesn't mean they're all going to go right. We have to lift our hands and trust that God is going to intervene in some manner that we can't. I love Maker. <laughs> I'm sure he struggled with those feelings. Was it all worth it? But you know something else I saw about Maker? I saw a heart continued to seek out those who were in difficulties. You know, later on, we're going to come to this as we go on in Samuel, but in 2 Samuel chapter 17, we find that David's son Absalom rebelled against him. And we find that David and, and those loyal to him in order to preserve their life, because Absalom was going to take over the kingdom, ran, left Jerusalem, left everything, escaped in a hurry. And it's interesting that Maker, and this is so beautiful, Maker is one of the men, one of the group that, that brought to David things that they needed to help him while he was running from Solomon. Listen to some of the things that he brought. He brought beds. He brought basins. He brought earthly, earthen vessels and wheat and barley and flour and parched grain and beans and lentils and parched seeds and honey and curds and sheep and cheese of the herd. Why? Because the people were hungry. <laughs> And they were weary, and they were thirsty in the wilderness. This man continued to give. And I just wonder if part of David's receiving such a blessing came because Maker saw how he treated Mephibosheth. Isn't that interesting? So maybe you are baker today. <laughs> I know some. I know some sitting in this congregation who go overboard 
to help other people. I watch them. But maybe you're a Mephibosheth, okay? Maybe you're suffering under hardships that aren't your own making. Maybe you've been injured by people and circumstances. And unfortunately, sometimes those greatest injuries come right out of the church of God. We've been hurt. We've been disappointed. Maybe we did nothing to even deserve it. But they're there. You may have said, God, why me? After all, I didn't do anything. Why does this come upon me? Maybe you feel there's, you're in a set of circumstances where there doesn't look like there's a way out at all. You're just going to be bound in that. And maybe, maybe you even feel kind of skeptical or fearful to even want to try and take the help that somebody might want to give you because you lack trust. You've been hurt so much. Maybe you feel valueless. Maybe you look at yourself and say, I don't measure up. I could never do this or do that. Maybe you look at all your shortcomings and you believe the lies of the enemy. Guilty. I've been guilty of that. I can't do it, Lord. I'm not talented enough. And the Lord comes along. And he makes us sit at his table. And he hides all of our frailties. But I'll tell you what. I know one today who knows your name, and he's the king. And I come and you come on the merits of Jesus, and he's seeking you. He's, he's the hound of heaven. He's in ever pursuit to come and find you. And he's desiring to take you from what seems to be hopeless and restore. <laughs> I love it. Restore your inheritance. Restore what God wants for you, what's destined for you. And he wants to put off all of those imperfections and cover them. Inviting you to his table. I love communion. We're invited to his table, aren't we? And when we sit at that table, all of the sin, all of the infirmities, all of the things that, that wouldn't disqualify us in any other way are covered by the blood of Jesus. And what happens to us? We've been married heirs with the Father <laughs> and joint heirs with Jesus Christ.
man, can anything get much better? So today here we sit. Who are you like? What are you going to change? What are you going to do differently? And who are you going to trust? I trust that in your heart today, you say, Lord, you're everything I need. Everything I need. And I don't care where I've been. I don't care what low to bar I had to be a part of. You've searched me out. And now I'm a child of the king, the son, the daughter of the king. Don't just celebrate that today. And I want to invite you, if, if, if you've struggled in any of these areas that we've talked about this morning, when the prayer team comes, just come and talk to them and let them pray for you. If you felt that you don't know how God could use you, just kick the devil out because he's lying. We're in tune with the one that covers our frailties. And our, so there's nothing that can keep us from being all that God would have us to be when we trust him. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us, share with a friend, and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. Our mission is simple. Come to life, connect to grow, find your purpose, make a difference. Thanks for listening to the Life Church Podcast.